Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Restaurant Marketing Podcast, where we talk about how multi-unit brands successfully market at the local level. Today in the show, we want to welcome Ellie Doty of High Impact Marketing. Okay, I want you to think about five quick service multi-unit brands that you've been going to for maybe your whole life. And chances are that Ellie worked at the CMO for one of them. Okay, over the course of the last 18 years, she's had a career in marketing that included KFC, Taco Bell, Chili's, and Burger King. Those are all literally within miles of my house. Uh, I've eaten at almost all of those probably this year already, and it's not even March. She is Thank now you. the founder of High Impact Marketing, where she combines all that experience and her skill set to help guide restaurants as a fractional marketing leader. She's also a beauty lifestyle software as a service and Web3 expert. Oh, my God. So many things to talk about and has even minted an NFT collection. That's a different podcast I host. Fun fact, Ellie is a huge Elvis fan and has a weirdly strong knowledge of his life. Ellie, welcome to the Restaurant Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I am super excited. Uh, what is, you know, you've, you've worked for so many brands. You've done you probably worked on every type of campaign there is. What's like one thing that brands that work at restaurants get wrong with marketing? Like what's a universal you get this wrong every time? Um, I think we all struggle with getting the balance between the brand message and the promotional message right. Um, and I think the idea of separating those is really tempting that um, we're doing activities where we're promoting a price point or we're promoting a deal of some kind. And uh, separate those messages from our big brand message and sort of the strength of the brand um, over time. And I've seen that in every place that I've worked where we run into that challenge. And part of it is the urgency of a large publicly traded organization uh, and short term promotions work quickly, uh, whereas brand uh, promotions don't show immediate ROIs uh, for a long time, but have exponential benefit longer term. So I've seen that as a challenge everywhere. Okay, let, let's use an example of a brand that you haven't, the one brand you haven't been a part of. Uh, would this be like McDonald's running an I'm loving it message versus a McRib message? Like, is that an example of what you're talking about? Yes, it is an example that um, McDonald's does a good job of running uh, brand campaigns that combine a promotional message. So example, you'll see food only advertising for McDonald's that really romances a core product and makes you remind you how hungry you are for uh, one of their flagship items. And they do they do a good job and that works for them over time. I think one of the challenges when you're not McDonald's, which is all the places that I've been, is around scale. So uh, it makes a pretty big difference in how you um, create the balance between promotion and brand uh, if you're not McDonald's scale of, of spend and size and located on every corner, et cetera. Sure. Is there like a, a, for people that are trying to figure this out, is there like a mix? Like, is it a 60, 40 mix? Is it 25, 75? Like, how do you, what's like a general easy rule of thumb to get started with? There's not. And it's actually a, mis, it's a misnomer to chase a percent. Uh, and it's very common to want to do that. I've seen that in a lot of places that I've been. In fact, the best way to think about it is every activity is a brand activity and every activity is a promotional activity. So uh, McDonald's has some good examples of this too. Uh, not to talk about them too much here, but uh, you can see that they have value campaigns that have price points in them, but that are anchored to communicating messages about their big brand. And so that is when it really works best is that you you can have campaigns that build your brand over time, but have legs and flexibility to promote an offer, a limited time only um, innovation like a McRib or uh, something new that's come out, uh, a new product that you want to launch. And when it can do all those things at the same time is when you've really found the magic. Okay, so let, let's put you back in the seat of where you have been for a second. 
When you're marketing for a brand like a Burger King or a KFC, like one of these brands that really is a very large enterprise level brand, how far baked how far baked out is your content calendar? Is it a month? Is it 90 days? Is it six months? Like how how granular is it? It's best to have it about a year out and to have some optionality for when things inevitably change uh, sometime in the course of that year. Uh, that is pretty challenging, to be honest, to get something um, ready as far as a year out. Um, but I'll break that down a little bit. The reason I say a year is because it gives you a chance to plan uh, your media and your content together. So if you know what you're going to be doing in fall of 24 and fall of 23, then when you're planning for that year, you can plan all of those elements at the same time versus planning for whatever may come and popping that content into any any plan you may have. Um, that said, uh, we all live in the real world and sometimes it's not possible to get a year out or you may not even want to get a year out if you're in an environment where there's a lot of change. Uh, take, for example, all of the restaurant industry going through COVID. Um, it could be a lot. You could spend a lot of team energy getting a year out and everything you do have no meaning the next year. So uh, sometimes it's smart to stay a little closer in. Um, all of the places that I have worked to really work hard to get even closer for, to, between the idea and the execution nationwide. So it really is a premium to get to a point where you can have an idea and get it fully proven, sold in across your whole system in a span of as short as three to six months, depending on its risk and complexity. So uh, I guess my answer is, Best to be planned a year out, have some optionality, and be ready to execute things in about three to six months. Okay. Now, when you say a year out, and this is, again, this is about content planning, like, are you saying that, like, I know exactly what I'm putting on Instagram on November 19th, on November 17th of the previous year, or no. is it more of just, like, in November, we're promoting A, B, and C? In November, we're promoting A, B, and C. So, more commonly referred to as marketing calendar, uh, and so that... Um, that leads to uh, sort of what am I, am I doing a McRib? Am I doing a value promotion? Am I doing a pizza? Am I, am I launching my new French fry? Am I, am I launching a new chicken sandwich? Are we promoting breakfast at that time? So having a sense of what's the main message that your brand's going to be communicating during that season of the year. We're getting some good kudos here from Candace who says, poor preparation leads to poor performance. Love the planning a year in advance. Great perspective. Yes, uh, very true. <laughs> if, if you, I don't know what kind of brands you're working with these days, but if you were working with a brand that had, I don't know, two to five locations or 10 locations, like how would you tell them to approach that? Like, how do they think about, do they need to be a year out? Do they need to be six months? Is it the same? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's still the principle of planning ahead. I think a brand with fewer locations is going to have less changes in what they're promoting overall, um, because a brand that has a big nationwide scale or a global scale like I've worked for um, really has a lot of, you know, it's sort of like turning a big ship. So there's a lot of alignment. There's a lot of complexity that goes into getting anything um, statewide and certainly getting anything statewide done well uh, takes time. In two restaurants, you can call up the people who run the restaurant and ask them to do something. So there's, you don't want to get over managed um, in that situation because you can change it. You can, you can print out menus um, uh, locally and you can change them again the next week if you want to. So you have a lot more flexibility and a lot less risk. Um, worth mentioning around risk. One of the reasons to plan a year out, if you're managing a 7,000 
um, a state restaurant chain is related to supply chain. Uh, frequently for a, a restaurant of that size, you've got to buy more stuff. Um, you've got to plant more fields. You've got to get more silos of corn. And all of that has liability that comes along with it. So it's a lot more flexibility than packaged goods. You don't have to build factories. You don't have to put new lines in most of the time. But it's still, you know, if you if you mess that up or you're not far enough out, it can it can backfire entirely. And even all the all the results you get in sales are overtaken by your supply liability. Okay, now just between you and me, not like anybody's listening here, uh, but can you talk to my chef? Because he'll often tell me like, oh, I have the burger of the month ready like three days before the, the first of the month. We, we need a little bit more lead time there. We, we'll, I'll connect <laughs> if you, you had a little more lead time in a two restaurant system, you might be able to do some cool <laughs> marketing stuff in three days. Uh, but for him to execute it, he can probably do it in three days. Yeah, all right, go. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> offline. Okay. Um, Let's talk about local marketing, okay? Again, you've worked with brands with literally thousands of locations. What, what kind of local marketing should the owner, operator, franchisor be thinking about? Not necessarily HQ, but like, you know, I have a story here, a story. What kind of local marketing should they be prioritizing? So I'm a big believer that the local operator should be focused on marketing, particularly if they have um, dominance or they're part of a few owners with dominance in a market. There are a lot of major tools that can be used um, specific to your DMA that I would never buy on a nationwide level, mostly because at a nationwide level, I'm obligated and want to, and it's the right thing for the brand to spend on things that uh, where the rising tide carries all the ships, you know, border to border, coast to coast. So things like out, out of home are very costly to buy uh, at a nationwide scale, but can be really effective locally, but not everywhere. There's some places it's super effective. There's some places it's less so. So uh, I think one, plan to spend some locally. Two, have a look at what your needs are locally. There are some places that are intensely competitive and others that are less so. Um, take a Chili's, for example, in Texas and in California, uh, you're really not competing with Mexican food restaurants. It's not considered um, the same cuisine uh, at all. But in Pennsylvania and uh, Connecticut, it might be the, one of the one of few places that you can get fajitas and guacamole and a margarita. So you would market a little bit differently in those places. You might carry a few different things on your menu based on the way your customers are enjoying your brand, depending on your region. Got it. So you got to have some level of market specialization. Um, should local stores in, in a system, should they be doing their own social media? Like should, you know, the Meriden, Connecticut Chili's have its own Instagram? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, basically, I think, yes, there's a time and a place for that. And ideally, you get to a point where you can uh, highly localize even in a, in a nationwide chain. There are some dangers with that in terms of like we've run into one of the reasons you don't see a lot of that is because it can be really hard to run it properly locally uh, because you have to staff for that. A human has to do it. They have to be someone who knows what they're doing. And that's not always the case in every market in a big chain. Uh, so I think that would be my only caution is if you're going to do it, do it well. Otherwise, don't. Um, and I think it can also be a great tool for local hiring, which is varied across um, regions. Like what, what, how do you compete if you're right between an In-N-Out and a Chick-fil-A? Uh, what, what are the basis of how you're going to compete with the other people that are the staff that may go to those places, that might be a little different than in a region where you're the only game in town. So uh, social can be a good way to do that, but it's a bit of a watch out because stay off or do it right. You know? 
what about what about digital advertising? Should should locations be in charge of that? Should HQ be in charge of that? How should that work? I think that these days there's a little bit of a give and take because at HQ it can be a uh, a, a, a part that falls through the cracks. So for example, if you have seven thousand pages out there giving hours, Google ratings, open or not, locations, and they're not getting crawled in Google Analytics, that's a big problem for you nationwide. So that kind of thing does need to be uh, monitored and uh, planned at a nationwide level, uh, but you need to be able to connect locally on if you need to go off of your um, your uh, delivery service provider, for example, or if you need to close early or if something your the road in front of your restaurant has closed and you have to change it, there needs to be some amount of flexibility to do that on a local level. Okay, so it's a handshake. It is in a way, you know, I think that it's important though to have some amount of help provided by the brands um, on how to how to run those pages. Okay, what's your thought on uh, franchisors making technology decisions or marketing decisions? That's a big question. Um, Franchisors making marketing and tech decisions. So, well, one, I think that the franchisor has an obligation to uh, stay on the cutting edge that is in line with their brand strategy on behalf of the franchisee, the same way we do in every other function of the business. Um, That's the reason for the franchisee-franchisor relationship. Um, Essentially, the franchisor is being paid to take care of all of that so that the brand is functional, is, is worth being part of, is an investable proposition, and the franchisee is making great profits at a local restaurant level and wanting to open more restaurants and keep their restaurants up to date. So that relationship me holds true across technology as well. So um, the, the watch outs, I think, are it's really important in tech to understand and stay true to the brand strategy. And by that, I mean, are you taking a leadership stance in tech? or not. And that makes a big difference in funding. And it makes a big difference in experimentation and staffing at the franchisor level. Um, And you can see there are some that really stake out uh, a leadership uh, role in tech, like Chili's does that. Chili's got ahead of the curve on tech, tried a lot of things and was more ready than the competitors uh, were when COVID hit. And there was a big boom in e-commerce and digital transactions. Um, but that was a strategic choice. That was a major investment and major commitment made by the brand to, to be on the cutting edge of that. So the danger is I, I had a great leader who said, uh, everyone loves the puppy, but no one wants to feed the dog. And that's the danger in tech uh, and in restaurant tech is there's lots of puppies and we all want them, but they grow up into dogs. And so you've got to uh, gotta be sure you're very uh, judicious in which direction you take in tech. I'm absolutely taking that statement from you and I will be giving you credit. So if you hear it out there, know that I will not take ownership. I'm just going to, I'm going to lease it. Well, I should give credit then to Wyman Roberts, former CEO of Frinker. He's the one who taught me that phrase. That's a good one. We did a, we did an event at FS Tech last year where I work with one of the tech providers there and we brought puppies to the booth and everybody was like, well, I'm not going to clean up the poopy. Yeah, that's right. Everyone wants the puppy. It It can be really challenging, you know, not to double down on that topic. But I think when new tech is brought in, it's so amazing and it can do so many things and everybody wants a part of it. And then 
it ages and it's the data is not clean and data gets held in different places and nobody knows how to use it. Inevitably, that happens with all of them. So there's a, a that's why I emphasize um, strategy. Okay, I want to ask one more question in this, and then we're going to change. Uh, guest feedback should guest feedback be replied to at the local level or at corporate? Um. Generally speaking, I think my answer would uh, would be at corporate overall. Um, the subtlety to that is that the responses, especially when they're public responses, are part of the creation of the brand story. And uh, so I think we've all been through a journey of how's the best way to respond and have struggled a little bit, sort of restaurant, all restaurant chains with the frequency of comments we get on a platform like Twitter, as an example. And it's very important to be responsive, to be live. It's a very labor intensive platform. So I think there are services that you can contract with to help you with that, to ensure that you're being responsive, but it's really on the... Um, at the corporate, and I would say even on the corporate marketing team to help guide the tone, um, that there are different responses, that every single time someone's talking to you, you're not getting a copy paste of a rote response that just looks like a corporate, um, you know, a computer or a bot sent it to you, because um, that creates bad brand experiences. So someone's telling you I've already had a negative brand experience, and then you kind of double down on it if you don't handle it. Um, in, a, in a more personalized way, which can be really challenging at scale. Um, and so I think it's important to take it in at corporate level and then redistribute at local level for response if it can be. I, love that. I have a playbook for this, by the way. I'm happy to share it with you uh, that I learned from watching a casual dining brand that's about a mile that way, like do poorly at. And I was like, oh, we're going to make that better. Anyway. Oh, okay. Well, okay. All right. That's good. I want to get into like some acquisition and, and retention tactics, but before we go there, now you and I work together with a, another brand. We won't mention them here, but on our last call with them, you said something amazing and I want to bring it up here. You talked about thinking about the, uh, uh, the, a funnel for a restaurant. And that's usually something us marketers talk in between marketers about, but like you talked about thinking about the whole funnel, whether it was awareness, acquisition, retention, and how channels align to that. Can we go into that for a little bit? How you think about uh, like what a f actual guest funnel looks like, like, and how to think about that from a brand perspective? A hundred percent. One of my favorite topics. And I think um, what I said there was that I don't think about it like a funnel, <laughs> um, and I think that it's a fallacy, actually, to believe that we say something big and then we remove, 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 remove people from our comm until we get to a point of purchase. And it can lead to uh, a bit uh, of lack of connectivity and creativity in our, in our marketing. So the way I prefer to do it, and I've done this. Um, I guess for four brands, uh, so it's, pr it's, it's proven in my book in a practical way is, uh, was created by McKinsey called a customer decision journey. And, um, so you can Google it customer decision journey and it's a loop. So, uh, and I think that a loop is a more natural description of a way a human behaves. Uh, it's more cyclical than it is, um, like a funnel. And so when we're marketing in a funnel, we uh, we end up driving towards this is my awareness activity, my my consideration activity, my conversion activity. And all of that is sound logic, except for the presumption that people are moving out of your funnel as you go down it, which they're they're not. They're still continuing to have act, um, 
interactions with your brand. And then the, so there's still a chance to get them in one way or another one. And then the other is that they don't drop out at the bottom. The idea is to pop them back in. And if they've already come in and had a good experience, you can pop them in farther down. So that's why the loop works. Um, and it starts out with, I'm aware of this brand. It's in my mind. It's in the zeitgeist. So anything that's mass for your brand makes sense out there. Then they move through their journey where they learn a little bit more about your brand. Perhaps they do some research. Perhaps they poke around on your website. Maybe they Google where the nearest location is. Um, these are the activities that happen as they get closer and closer to the purchase point. And at the purchase point, there's a series of marketing there too, whether you're an e-commerce transaction or an in-restaurant transaction. Uh, what merchandising have you put up? Where have you put it? What does your menu look like? The menu is uh, often underestimated. The number one thing anyone buys off of, don't forget about your menu. It's a big deal. It makes a big difference. Um, and then what do you do after they've bought? What do you sell them on next time? Do you have another day part you want to bring them back for? Do you want to capture their email so that you can talk to them in other ways? Um, do you want to get them to refer a friend? So there's all these marketing activities that come after the purchase that push people back into the loyalty loop. So um, that is my best practice. And I actually do build briefs for agencies and campaigns around the customer decision journey and map out what our activities are going to be uh, in that way. I love it. What are what are some core activities in the at the awareness stage? Like what are some really good things that people need to be thinking about? Well, in the brands that I've worked for, a core activity is uh, mass television advertising. And in QSR, this is an important channel because we are in a share battle in a flat category and we're trying to elbow each other out, you know. So that I exist here and I'm still here comes from your uh, the penetration of your assets, like you're, you're seen on the road, and it comes from your presence in a mass vehicle like television. Uh, television, however, is not for everybody, and it can be really expensive, and you can overplay your awareness tools if you overspend in television. So one of the things that I like to do these days is switch it from uh, thinking about it like TV and instead think about it like video. And there are lots and lots of places where a video campaign might make sense. And of course, I talk about video because I'm in a visual field. I'm selling, so I, you need, I want you to see the food. I want you to see people enjoying the food. And so video is an important part of mass. And that video can show up in all kinds of places, many of them much more measurable, much more uh, able to be targeted uh, than TV has been historically. Uh, but the other one I want to mention that's a real passion point of mine right now is uh, publicity, PR, influencers, word of mouth. Um, I just, I really do believe that we are cycling into a time where this next generation and viewing habits, video usage habits, personal handheld device habits, um, you've got to earn your way into the conversation. So I think we, we really need to rethink the importance of and budgeting for things like uh, PR, publicity, influence, and your role in culture. Uh, the guy with 700,000 followers on Instagram agrees. Uh, thank you. Uh, nice plug. <laughs> my show. Yeah, uh, you if, you're, if you're like a sub 10 location brand, you're two to 10, let's call it, right? And you're, you don't have a TV budget or whatever. What's, you know, influencer might be a little bit of a hard thing to tackle. Maybe you've got stores all over the place. I don't know, whatever. Like what's a really easy scalable awareness activity that for a brand like that to do? 
I think your relationships with your local press go a long way. Uh, so, so what are what are you doing? Including, I guess that there's two two things, maybe three. I would mention one is. Are there some interesting, creative ways you could bolster your presence um, at a local level with events, with stunts, uh, with giveaways, with uh, partnerships? Can you drive relationships with things that don't cost that much, but can get more attention than, you know, sort of punch beyond their weight, can get more attention than their than they might on their own. Um, another one is I think those relationships, even if it's just like we have a new product, you want to try it, uh, just cultivating those relationships long term and being being friendly with your local local press drives them to call you if they ever hear anything, puts a face with a name, sort of builds out that relationship and really doesn't cost you anything but manpower. Um, and then it's not exactly an awareness tool, but I would say don't ignore search engine marketing and search engine optimization at the local level. I think it's one of the first places I would place a dime. If I had um, 10 restaurants that were in one DMA, I would want to ensure that I was defending my space um, in search. Uh, and most people are searching for a location and a menu. So it's pretty, pretty simple. And if you're in a, it, it, one of the tricks with that is you want to be in that sort of long tail um, words, especially if you're a smaller company um, in search engine marketing, otherwise you'll spend all your money trying to be like, you won't, you don't want to be pizza. You want to be, uh, you know, a, a much more refined term than that. God bless. Uh, and I just want to make sure that before we move on, are you suggesting at the low, at the search level that there's a mix of paid and organic or just organic or just paid? Paid. Paid okay. and organic is good, uh, but that I was talking about paid. Okay. In a paid realm, again, still talking awareness, Google or social? Um, or both. I, I mean, both, but they do different jobs. Um, so social is for awareness. And um, it may, I think that it, your first question about brands mistakes that you see is the belief that it's about something besides awareness uh, can end up, uh, you can end up spending a lot of money trying out things to make it about something else. So I believe that social is an important component for awareness. Um, it's a place people are looking for you. It's a place you can show up. It has been monetized, of course. So you're not going to really show up in organic. So don't overplay your content there. Take a picture and put it on. Don't, don't spend a lot on content that's going only in organic. Uh, boost them a little bit. It doesn't cost too much to boost a little bit in social so it's seen, but it'll be seen for awareness. And then, you, then what I'm suggesting is complement that with some paid search so that when, pe when people are aware of your brand, they search for it, they can find it easily and it pushes them through the funnel. Yeah, I, well, we're going to move on after this. But to me, Facebook and Instagram, social or paid is about top of funnel right? Or retention, basically, if you're following. And Google is about middle of funnel. Like, I've already decided I want pizza. Now, I just, you want me to get your pizza. You yeah, know what I mean? you got it. Awareness, then I want to learn more. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, let's switch to acquisition. We got four, we got three minutes left here. Or sorry, let's switch to retention. Uh, I've had somebody come in and eat once. Okay. How do I convert one timers to second timers or third timers? Well, I know we're talking about marketing. However, I cannot talk exclusively about marketing on this topic because I have to phone my operations friends. Uh, the most important thing you can do to get a customer to come back and give them a great experience, um, get their order right, serve them great food, um, be friendly to them. <laughs> um, 
And I think that the expectations, especially, are, are pretty low, honestly. So as long as you don't be nice to people, look at people, give them what they ordered, make sure it's hot or cold or whatever's appropriate, um, is the single best way to build your brand over time and drive retention. So all of those efforts are totally incomplete if you don't have your buddy in operations um, as the flip side of that coin to ensure they're coming back again. Um, from a marketing point of view, I think the best things to impact are the value proposition. So uh, partnering with finance friends on how much things cost, uh, because if you just look at this ingredient cost this much, so I'm going to charge that much, you may get out of line with the value proposition. And then the guest will stay and pay and eat, but then they will come back less often because they don't feel that what they got was worth what they paid. And uh, so I think watch out on the value proposition to get frequency and retention, uh, pay attention to that. Look around at competitors. How far are you in line with competitors? Are you in line with commodities? Um, and look at the pricing as a three-pronged approach. What did the thing cost me? What are my competitors paying? And um, and what do I think I can get from this in this trade area? And yeah. then you can, so pricing. And then the third one I think is see if your customer, if there are ways you can get information from your customers so that you can retarget them later. So in a way that doesn't feel weird, it feels organic and is good for them, gives them utility. Can you, would they be willing to share any information with you, their phone number or their email um, or sign up for a loyalty program, um, et cetera. That would be, that's the third thing I would mention is see if you can get a little information from them. So retention, so I like to say this, awareness is a marketing function. Retention is a markerations function. <laughs> markerations, yeah, there you Marker go. <laughs> you got to have the handshake. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, any one single channel better for retention, loyalty, email, SMS, ads, do you have a favorite? Uh, yes, CRM is my favorite. And, uh, I, you know, it's, I think the trick is, however, that you can't separate your loyalty programs creation from your CRM creation. So if you get a ton of emails, you get a ton of people in there and you can't do anything with it, it's pointless. So I say, I think that that's another thing I've seen a couple of times is ensure you're getting the data, you've got somewhere to put it, it's clean, you can read it. Um, you're building out your journey so that you can send different kinds of communications depending on how a guest has interacted with you. Those two things go hand in hand. So the loyalty collection of data is only as good as what you can do within CRM. Oh man, that's a whole other episode. We'll have, maybe we'll have to have you back. Uh, Ellie Doty, this is really amazing. Thank you so much. The show's 30 minutes. How can, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Check me out on LinkedIn. LinkedIn at Ellie Doty. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're watching this live on LinkedIn or you're hearing the podcast, go over to LinkedIn, reach out to Ellie your questions. Ellie, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We really appreciate it. If you're listening to the show and you really enjoyed it today and you think somebody else will get something from, share the episode with them and give us a, a positive review anywhere you listen. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.